All right, welcome back to another hour of Sky Shower. This is basically a retake. Jesse, uh, in this episode here, uh, we did the mate. We're going to talk about the Matrix. Uh, we have our restaurant review. We went and uh, we did it in honor of the Matrix. Uh, and then also we have our uh, Scott. Scott review. What kind of, what's the name of the scotch here? This is the Tamdu 12. Tamdu 12. Speyside, single malt scotch, 43% alcohol by volume. <laughs> and um, you can see, like, you can't, you can see the package. It's out of the package already. Oh, very uh, handsome we package. We didn't uh, hit the record button, or I didn't hit the record button to begin with, but it's an awesome package, really. It is. And I think um, a little bit about the history of the Tamdu uh, is that in 1898, uh, there was a bunch of entrepreneurs that got involved. They wanted to create the uh, best scotch that they could make. Uh, 1898, uh, that was in 1897. So in 1898, um, that's when they uh, started looking at uh, using sherry casks from Spain, and they got the spot there on the River Spain. 49, uh, that's when they uh, uh, modernized the distillery. Uh, 1970, they added four new steels uh, to it. 2010, something happened. They closed that. They closed up shop, and then 2012, Ian McLeod reopened the distillery. Ian McLeod of the Clan Cloud. There can only be one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Highlander, such a great movie. It is a great movie. All right, so what was your uh, what was your take on this? Oh, for the color, it is a very nice medium. Uh, to light gold, more of that gold, um, a little bit of the brass, but not so much for me with the nose. Um, initially orange and oak. Those are the two big things with just a hint of cinnamon and a little bit of orange right at the front. You get a, a well-blended body of oak. And I think that's partially, as we had talked about, it is matured in new Oloroso sherry casks for part of the scotch. And some of it is also reused Oloroso casks. And part of that, I think, gives it this wonderful oak flavor from nose until um, the finish. And then the finish for me is... Um, it's a nice medium finish and i mean that exactly like that it's not a super long finish it's not a quick finish it's not hot or cold but it comes in you get a little bit of that cinnamon and the oak for me i love oak that sherry oak in particular um it just is from the beginning to the end and it kind of uh, wraps up again with a little bit of that spice and um, one of the things you had noted that i didn't originally notice off the nose but after you mentioned it i i, I agree with you 100 um was the missing link when i was trying to figure out what that smell was and that's that mint chocolate yeah so when i uh, first looked at it which um it's almost kind of gone at this point. <laughs> uh, but it, I did get the uh, golden amber, not quite as brassy as the Macallan Edition 6. Um, I do. It, it is a little bit darker in the in the golden amber color than maybe some of the other ones we've uh, looked at here on Scotch Harp previously. On the nose, uh, I do get the uh, kind of like a wet oak with the mint chocolate and cinnamon. Um, and then when I go to the palate, my beginning of the palate, I get some 
as you mentioned, I think uh, before it was the de dried fruits. So I'm getting like a, basically like a, in the front part of my palate, I'm getting like a little bit of plum, slight banana, and then from the, then when it gets like my mid palate, it gets kind of jammy for me. And then at the beginning of the finish, that jammy kind of turns into kind of like a fudge. But it, it really finishes off with cinnamon and oak. And I, I can almost say that that cinnamon oak finish, it could be maybe a slight peat, but I, I, it's really hard for me to pick up on the peat. But as I let it sit open for a little bit longer, I think I got a slight bit more of a peat than before. But really, it's just cinnamon and oak or... One could even say cinnamon and smoke, but I'm going to lean more towards the oak now. And uh, that's pretty much my review of this one. I do like it. I think it's a great bottle. Uh, I think the price point wasn't too bad. I think it was $60 over there at uh, Total Wine and more. So um, if you're looking for a decent bottle, $60 range, um, I think this has some pretty good flavors. It is definitely different. I don't know that it would be my first choice, but far from my last. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's. I think it's if you want something different than your normal scotch, like because mm -hmm. it definitely stands out quite a bit different than the Macallan, the Oban, the Lagavulins, um, and then the Glenmorangies. I think it's just. I think it's kind of a character of its own. It is, and actually, you mentioning that makes me think about how great it might go with like a cinnamon coffee cake. It's time for our shout outs. Oh, shout outs. Uh, two very quick ones. One to my kiddos, Mila and Aiden, both going after things to find their happiness, which you guys will see later is one of the, the notes for our Smarter Challenge. So, um, you know, taking steps necessary, giving it their all. Um, not giving up, finding some happiness. Keep it, keep it real. Keep it happy, you guys. The second one to uh, Verstappen and the Formula One season, honestly, to everyone right now, uh, Honda. Uh, but first, Verstappen in particular, having to have a very mature race after doing great in qualifying, little hiccup, um, did some damage to his car. Probably would have been on pole, and didn't quite get that. Uh, little start he wanted for the race, but absolutely finished strong in second. Uh, looking forward to the final race of the season. All right. Uh, mine was to a waitress over at a restaurant that we had previously visited, which is Little Ricci's. Uh, I just know she is a young redhead. I didn't get her name, but uh, I, at first I sat there for about eight minutes uh, before anyone came by to, uh, to help me. She, uh, she came by, asked if I had anyone had served me, and I said no. Uh, I made my order. She actually screwed up my drink order at first. Uh, no. She corrected that. And then she screwed up my meal order, uh, corrected that. But uh, when she corrected those, she took them off of my bill. So I think she uh, made everything made everything good. So I just want to give uh, compliments to her and then also to Little Ricci's. Uh, once again, coming through at the end, even though it was a little bit bumpy ride through it. <laughs> so uh, that's my shout out. Restaurant. So in the Matrix, 
they talk about everything tasting like chicken. So we did <laughs> venture over to the Chicken Shack here at the Corner Star location, uh, basically Parker and Arapahoe Road. And uh, for we, we almost had the same dinner, pretty much had the same dinner. Um, so for me, it's the uh, three chicken finger bowl, if you will, busket. Um, so they lay down a bed of fries. They put on three sliced and chopped chicken fingers and then smother it with some green chili um and then per the you know the hostesses or uh servers recommendation we had some bacon on top of this and i was like man that sounds good she recommended it to Noah. i followed suit jumped on board and it was pretty delicious the one thing um that was different for me of all of these you know like 30 years of my life on this planet um i've never had a fried twinkie so i had a deep fried twinkie and it was all right it was good i you know i kept thinking about um zombie land yeah zombie land and, and his hunt up for this twinkie man he would have been pissed that thing being deep fried um but <laughs> uh you know he goes and he finds his twinkie eventually at the show end of the show but yeah uh that's all i could think about was zombie land like where's the zombies for this um dinner was great the environment for a fast food styled restaurant i'm uh, gonna be a six for me the service however the servers were amazing and you know again this is fast food so they basically take your order at the counter we sat down dined in they brought it to us they did hold off on weight making my deep fried twinkie and and until the end when we were ready uh, it was good i don't know if i would ever do it again uh, but it was a great experience to have one uh zombie land uh, i'll take the fresh twinkie over the deep fried one in the future um but yeah the service was easily i'm actually gonna give service a nine um, and that is because they did just a great job these people looked happy to be there and i hope that the owners or managers know um, what kind of great service they're giving because of that i'm assuming they do because usually you don't get employees that happy unless they're being taken care of so if that's the case good job to you guys owners and managers for taking care of those employees uh, is this a date worthy place you know if you're a high school kid and you're taking a first date there yeah maybe if you're you know 30 years old-ish like we are are you taking a first date there probably not <laughs> gonna recommend many of the other restaurants we visited maybe ted's montana grill if you want some steak or um, oh man how about a brazilian steakhouse can't go wrong again steak man i guess i'm a meat eater but uh you know for that it's not gonna knock somebody's socks off uh, but it's fun it's simple especially if you're young um, it's good food great place to go with a friend value i'm gonna give it right around a seven um the the meal itself was was great not complaining you can't get much better for ten dollars and uh yeah overall for me it was an eight Okay, so yes, we did have the same meal. It's called the Rocky Mountain uh, Fries, I think. And uh, it's pretty good. It's covered in green chili and cheese. Uh, she, uh, the like you mentioned, the, the waitress or the lady at the counter, she recommended putting uh, bacon on it. And who doesn't love bacon? So I said, sure, love the bacon. bacon. And she was right. It was awesome. Um, I've been there a few times before. Usually I get what's called the buff fries, and that's where they just, it's basically the same thing, but instead of the uh, green chili, what they will put in is uh, one of the different sauces for the uh, chicken. Whether it be, And usually I get mine with the uh, medium-flavored uh, buffalo-style sauce, 
And they'll so basically it comes with cheese, the buffalo sauce, uh, and ranch. And I think that's to me that's just as good. Sometimes I also get a barbecue sauce. Um, and the, the the large size is pretty large. And the thing is, the, between the large and the small, it's a dollar difference. And so I'm always a sucker going for the large, and I can never finish it. And really, if Ditto. you <laughs> and if you really wanted to, you can actually like. Uh, split a large between two people it's really enough food to split between two people to be honest and so usually half the time i have to dump out like half my fries anyways uh any case um to your point i would give it somewhere between a 7.5 and an 8. uh the service there like uh, as you mentioned the the working the work staff there they were uh you could tell they were generally happy to be there i'm not sure if they just it was like the crew that was working that night all got along really well or whatever, but they were dancing. You could tell, even though they were wearing masks, you could tell that they were smiling and giggling. But even though they were having a good time dancing and doing all these types of stuff, they were totally on ball with getting the food out. So, like, no one was really waiting for their food. Uh, they didn't ignore any of the customers that came into the place. So, you know, yeah, hats off to the... Uh, to the management and the owners of that store so uh if you got if anyone ever watches it please you know i think uh, you should give those uh your workers a raise or something because they did an awesome job keep and i and i do agree with jesse i think uh hopefully that management there appreciates how good of a job that their workers were doing that night uh which was tonight um first state worthy uh, yeah, it, I think if you're like maybe college or high school, sure, you could probably take a first date there. If you're like probably in your mid 20s and older, it may not be a first date type of place, but it might be like a place you might take, uh, like after you guys are in a, in a established relationship to where you guys are like, you're not trying to impress her anymore, you're not trying to impress him anymore, but you guys want to go grab uh, a decent fast food dish. Uh, then yeah, you could you know you could do that you know, uh, like if you just had to like get, like grab something like quick and then go ahead to the movies. Yeah, sure, why not? It's it's not it's gonna give it. It's gonna, they have decent food, and uh, but like I said, it's not really like if you're unless you're kind of an established couple. I wouldn't really say it's really a date place if you're over in your mid twenties or older. I will say, though, it is kind of a decent place. Maybe just go chill and grab a bite to eat with a buddy, though. Yeah, and, and they had a small beer selection. We had the Scottish yeah. Ale, which was great. Yeah, the Scottish Ale was great, too, yeah. So overall, like I said, 7.5 to an 8. And uh, if you do happen to go there, uh, they have two locations. The one, which is in Star, the Corner Star, right, which is uh, Arapahoe and Parker Road. And then there's the other one that's in Parker off of uh, 20 Mile. And I'm not even sure what the other crowd's right there. But it's right there by Target there in uh, on 20 Mile uh, in Parker. So in any case, uh, if you go there to either one of those two locations, let you know you heard about them on um, Scotch Hour. You know what? Let me say a few things, then we can go and bounce back and forth, uh, dance as some might put it. Um, so 
couple quick things about the Matrix. The original Matrix, 1999, aired or in theaters was released March 31st, 1999. So we're talking about a pretty good timeline. We're talking 22 years ago now. Uh, the second Matrix, The Matrix Reloaded, was four years and a month and a half uh, later. It was May 16th, 2003. This was largely intentional uh, because they wanted to release the second and third more close. And if you are an ultimate Matrix fan that loves all the movies, you know, disregard what I'm about to say, but the second movie was not up to par compared to the first or the third. The third did uh, or was released just half a year, not even later, on October 27th, that same year as The Matrix Reloaded, Matrix Revolutions, October 27, 2003, to kind of wrap it up. And if you haven't seen these movies in the last, nine, you know, 22 to 19 years, uh, uh, a few spoiler alerts, as Noah already has mentioned earlier in the show, and we'll continue to mention. Um, pause this now, go watch the movies, or you may have a few things ruined if you haven't seen them yet. Um, for me, the movies are not as impactful as they are for everyone. Uh, and, and there are, I think, are a lot of different reasons for that. <sighs> One of which being... I am on a fine line of where I feel about science versus religion. And I think the movie dances its own ways, the movies, all three of them, and the fourth one coming out uh, this month, uh, they dance with this um, religious flavor, this little hint, uh, a little nose of religion back and forth. Um, and so for me, it's almost like they're dancing between science and science fiction at times. But at the same time, there are things that are absolutely true to me as well. A couple other things, when I, when I think about what these movies are to me, they are summed up oversimplifying it, a social commentary on reality. So a social commentary on reality. They are humans or humanity's last stand against machines. And the, one of the things that's really interesting to me too is when I was going around and I was talking to some of the people I work with and some of the people I know and I was asking them, hey, what do you guys think of the Matrix? Um, one of the reactions I had more than not was, okay, if I ask you about the matrix right here, right now, what was the emotional impact it had on you through the different movies? And what I would say is low achievers were typically less impacted by the some of the theories they saw in the movies than high achievers and I, i'm curious to continue having these conversations with them is partially because is that because as a low achiever you're not afraid 
of being bested by a machine. Whereas the high achievers were absolutely emotionally drawn and drained from this thought of having to compete with the machine, of being bested by something that was not a living organism, so to speak, but an actual machine. Um, so it's kind of it was kind of interesting to me because. Uh, for myself, I, I feel I am a very high achiever in many ways. However, I was not emotionally drained um, like most of the high achievers that I know. Okay. Uh, that's an interesting take. The, just a couple... Just a couple of the key points I wanted to put out there, and I know you're going to take a, a, a very much more in-depth stance in many ways. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, with my research and I was uh, I was impacted by the movie. I thought as uh, the cinematography, I think what it kind of changed movies around that time, especially with how they did the uh, the fight scenes and the slow motion, like where he dodges the bullets um, and the, the way they tied in. Not only philosophical, but also religion and uh, aspects of humans versus machines. There's like a whole lot of things that they wrapped up into these uh, three movies that I think if you really take it, if you take the time to dive into it, you're going to see a whole lot of thought went into these. Like every character's name has a purpose or uh i don't know i'm not even sure if you want to say it's a purpose but it, like it, it was intentionally done and um and then when you look at some of the philosophical like one of the easiest things uh, i guess religious wise you could see is possibly christianity but then there's also buddhism that's tied into it and there's also uh uh with judaism that's tied into it um you see philosophies from socrates uh, Plato, uh, you'll see the uh, skepticism uh, part of philosophy. Uh, when you're talking about uh, Descartes, uh, Descartes, is that his name? Yeah, yeah, Descartes. Yeah, Descartes. Um, Rene Descartes. Or how do you pronounce it? It's French. I don't know. Right, yeah. But yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there's a, there's a whole lot of like, and that's just like that's just like uh, like scratching the surface of it, and it goes in a little bit deeper and. Uh, we start really starting to start peel away the uh, the layers. And as I was mentioning to you earlier tonight, when I first threw out this uh, smart challenge, I wasn't really thinking I was going to like do a total deep dive. And as I started exploring more and more, I'm like, I just ran out of time. And I really wanted to uh, actually do more research uh, to present my side of it. But um do you want me to go further into yeah, the philosophical keep, stuff here? Whichever or? angle you want to start with. Okay, so... All right, I'll start with this. Um, a, a big question, or even a, a great quote from uh, the movie The Matrix is, ignorance is bliss. But the question is, is ignorance really bliss? Or is the truth really worth knowing? Because if you look at Cypher, the one character, he's saying, like, because he took the red pill, but he regrets taking the red pill. And so to him, he thinks ignorance is bliss, and he would rather 
be ignorant of what the truth is. Whereas Neo, he was hesitant at first to take the red pill, but he preferred to know the truth and it was worth everything that it cost him in order to know the truth and to, uh, I guess, kind of go on his journey. Um, and to him, ignorance wasn't uh, the better the better out. So I think when we look at life in general, is it better to, it, to have ignorance or is it better to seek the truth? And if we do seek the truth, is knowing the truth worth the cost? And I think it's an interesting question to kind of like start diving into the matrix. It is a very interesting question. And with some of these, whether they be philosophical or religious angles, one of the things to think about the philosophical philosophical angle here is that um, ignorance can be bliss. And we see that largely with people who can't or don't want to, but can't handle the truth. Um, not knowing when you die, for example, does that give you a, a better life or does it give you a happier life or, um, or not? The opposite could be said, and that is if you know exactly when you're going to die, you can engineer a happier life with what time you know you have left. Um, so it's, it's a really good question and one that really poises to the more you know, the more you better be able to handle. And that is just the simple truth. Can you live with the fact of knowing when you're going to die? Because there are those who could handle it and would engineer. And I use that term exactly like that. If you know you have 30 years left to live, 30 productive years left to live, um, you can absolutely engineer your life for 30 years to know um, you know, knowing when you're going to end how you want to live. So that could be you give 10 years to the hardest work ever because, you know, you still got 20 great years after that. And then you take the next 10 years off. So as opposed to maybe working one job for 20 years, you work two jobs for 10 years and then have 10 years of potential bliss. And not everyone could do that. Uh, there are a lot of people and many that I know that knowing when they would die would literally just ruin them. They'd just become well, non-productive. Let me ask you this. But do you think sometimes ignorance will lead someone to the slaughterhouse without them knowing about it? Because I think sometimes ignorance would do that. So it's a double-edged sort of a question because if they know their end already and fate is a thing, then it doesn't matter. Okay. So I think you're. I think one of the uh, key things that you kind of talked about there, which will bring in Socrates here is you talked about happiness. Yes. Right? So when we look at, like, the mission, right? Um, Neo's mission was to save the human race from un, uh, from uh, being a, basically a, being slaves to uh, artificial intelligence, right? Well, when we start looking at Socrates, because this, this movie or the this trilogy also relates a lot with Socrates, and after Socrates goes and visits uh, the Oracle, uh, his uh, one of his main missions was to seek out what makes a good life, what makes you happy. Right. And so one of the questions that he posed to one of his friends is, what is holy? And his friend says, uh, holiness is what the gods love, and it's opposite of what they hate, which is unholy. So then Socrates follows that up with, with his 
is it holy because the gods approve it, approve of it, or do they approve of it because it is holy? And then his friend couldn't answer that. So this basically started like uh, Socrates when he went to go visit the oracle. Uh, the oracle kind of pointed down the pathway for Socrates to go down because the, uh, the oracle said that he was the wisest person in, uh, in Athens, I think. And uh, so he's like, well, how can I be the wisest person? Because I, I know I'm not the wisest person. So he goes around asking other people and he finds out that by him knowing that he's, that he's not wise makes him the wisest person, essentially. So really where I'm tying this back into with the mission with Neo Trinity asks Neo, it's the question that drives us. And uh, and so Neo, if you watch the movies, he, he mentions a couple of things. She's basically, no, that's not it. That's not it. And he goes, uh, what is the matrix? And she's like, that's the question. Right? So that's the question that drives us. So when we're looking at the matrix, uh, I think... We, there's some things here that I'm starting to starting to unpack here because this goes a little bit deeper than just like uh, what the mission is, what the oracle is. Like obviously, we start looking at some parallels between Socrates and Neo. Neo ends up going to see the, see an oracle, right? And when we look at the the Greeks, Zeus sends off two two eagles in two different directions. One goes east, one goes west. They meet up in the middle in, in Delphi, or, Del, or Delphi, or whatever. And uh, that's where the oracle is, and that's where he goes and sees the oracle. And now the oracle, uh, they're able to uh, smell some kind of like uh, fumes or whatever coming from the ground, which is supposed to be from Apollo. And um, if you go watch the movie uh, The Matrix, when he goes and sees the oracle, the oracle smells the cookies, so there's like a relationship there. And um, the one of the big things here when we're looking at the oracle is that in ancient times during uh, Greece and when Socrates was there, one of the things it talks about is that uh, you must know thyself. And if you watch the movie uh, in the kitchen, I believe right above the doorframe, that's where it says know thyself. And not only do you have to know yourself, but nothing in excess. So when he goes to leave, the oracle tells Neo to take one cookie. Not as many as he wants or anything like that, so he doesn't overindulge. So he keeps everything in, uh, keeps uh, nothing in excess, which becomes really important when you start to look at Agent Smith versus Neo. Neo knows himself, and after he dives into Agent Smith, a part of Neo becomes part of Agent Smith. And Agent Smith, when that happens, does not know himself, and he starts going to live in excess. And he doesn't know how to stop, and that causes the destruction of the Matrix, if you will. Um, what's, what's your thought about this? Um, a very interesting <clears throat> quote. This is a Mark Twain quote. Is sanity and happiness are an impossible combination. <laughs> And I think this is a great quote. Uh, Mark Twain, you know, witty, curmudgeon, quite possibly genius, but at least brilliant. Um, he points out a really good 
thought here, and that just is exactly that. Sanity and happiness are an impossible combination. And I, I, I think with that, you get the sanity, the machine, the agent, the matrix, and then happiness, something different. Uh, it, it's, it's really this different thing is whether or not you've got the easiest life or the hardest life, you can still find happiness. You can be a millionaire or broke and still find happiness. As a machine that does not know anything but facts, I don't know that you can find happiness. Um, dreamers are something that fuel us all to creativity and creativity and drive and desire. Yeah, you could say that people who are greedy or who go after too much aren't happy. And I'm going to say just the opposite. Some of these people who are the most driven people on the planet who fail and react to the poorest because they can't take it. These are actually the people who want it more. And I think they're the people who ultimately do find true steps of happiness in exponential quantities in very fractional time. So I'm not saying someone's always going to be 100% happy all the time, but somebody who gives 100% is going to be 100% more of the time than someone who only ever gives 10%. Here's a quote that I, I forgot to mention about when it comes to the Oracle. When um, Morpheus and uh, Neo go see the Oracle, uh, there's a conversation where Neo asks if she knows everything. And Morpheus, uh, uh, Morpheus says that she knows, uh, she would say that she knows enough. Try not to think of it as right and wrong. She's a guide and helps you find the path. And this is also true with the, like, the Oracle during the Greek times with Socrates because that's where Socrates talks about knowing thyself. And uh, there was a king right around that time that fought the Persians that went to go see the Oracle. And the Oracle said, if you go to war now, a great army will will fall. Well, the king didn't know himself, and it was the Greek <laughs> army that fell, not the Persians. Right. So I think uh, it, it does come down to, even with like nowadays in life too, you really have to know thyself. And once you know thyself, then that allows you to seek more information, uh, seek happiness, if you will. Um, uh, maybe maybe some sanity there too. Because uh, at, at that point, you know what your limits are. You know who you are. You know what you can and can't do. And really, when you, when you are in pursuit of a goal or anything uh, uh, worthwhile, though, it's really about bettering yourself every day, and that's about knowing thyself. Um, I don't. I mean, I think that this kind of comes out a little bit with with Neo and the Matrix because he doesn't think that he is the one, and it's not until he starts figuring out and knowing himself and believing in himself and knowing what his limits are. That's when he becomes the one. Because once he starts believing, because you even hear Morpheus at the end, she uh, Trinity's like, "What's happening?" And when he stops all the bullets, and Morpheus says he's believing in himself now, or he believes. So know thyself, right? So, anyways, it's a, it is an interesting point, but it also poses to: is it fate, or is it happenstance? 
Wait, you talking about Neo or yeah? Uh, in the movie, is is Neo's character fate or is it happenstance? Well, that's a great question because there's <laughs> there's more that goes with this. Too. You can't be the one unless it's fate. That is true, and if you and so here, I think this ties into probably maybe Christianity uh, a slight bit when we talk about the names. Um, as I mentioned before, there's meaning to the, all the different names, like Morpheus. That's the god of dreams, and who wakes Neo up from? Being basically asleep, well, you know, you know, in the Matrix, that's Morpheus. He gives him the red pill. An interesting one here that I've been debating about, <laughs> and I'm not going to talk about it yet. Let me go to yeah. Me, come on, just do it. No, Bite the bullet. <laughs> I'm going to go to the architect first. Okay. Because you asked it whether or not it's fate or not, and the architect, and I believe this is in the second movie when he meets the architect. The architect says that he built the matrix and the first time he mm-hmm. built it too perfectly and it caused issues. So he had to recreate the recreate the matrix and that caused an anomaly to happen. And that anomaly would be Neo. And so he took into account for Neo and every time Neo Neo's or the the person like Neo, the anomaly would populate then they will wipe out Zion and start start it all over. So you can almost cre- you can almost considering the wiping out of Zion and the starting over, like the flood of Noah or the flood of Gilgamesh, uh, and then also from there you're talking about like if if the architect is the creator of the Matrix, he would essentially be God, if you will. And I'm not trying to say he's like he is God, but I'm just saying one can make that correlation. And if they make that correlation that he is God, then he created the Matrix knowing that he would have the anomaly, which would then make Neo the one or Jesus in a sense. And then bringing that up, uh, Neo, if he is the one, this will bring up my one character. I'm trying to figure out what his purpose, like his name and purpose goes with. And that's Cypress. Now, Cypheris, uh, if you look up in the dictionary, it means zero or it means like a, uh, um, it means a code, right? So is he called Cypheris because Cypheris ends up uh, trying to kill Neo, which would eliminate the one, maybe dropping it back to zero, and that would be Cypheris, because Cypheris had met with the agents saying that he would uh, give up uh, Morpheus, uh, in order to go back into the matrix. And that's where he says the ignorance is bliss comment. So therefore, if he's given up Morpheus because Morpheus has the codes to Zion, is that where his name comes in because of the codes? I don't know. Um, then you look at the ship, the Nazarkinezareth. That was a Babylonian king who wiped out the Israelites after they uh, started to become to like worship uh, false idols and stuff like that, went against God. So God gave the the okay, basically, in a dream to Nazarkinezareth to wipe out the uh, wipe out the the Israelites and bring them under as like his subjects. And then that would just kind of it would make sense that Nazarkinezareth would be the name of the ship that basically brings Neo to to head to wipe out Zion to start the new flood or whatever and create the whole new 
whole new system of a whole new matrix. And then we got, uh, uh, was it uh, the the Hades wife, uh, Persephone? Persephone. She uh, goes against Hades to help out visitors who come down to the uh, the underworld. Persephone. And she also has time away from the underworld. Exactly. The original story being one third of her time on top of Earth, two thirds under. But in any case, Persephone in the second Matrix goes against the Merivelgian. And helps Neo to get seek the keymaker. So her name has a purpose there. And the mayor of Al, uh, the mayor of, uh, how do you say his name? Mayor of Algian or something like that. His, uh, the, his her, uh, Persephone's husband. He was the, uh, one of the people from the very first matrix. So he's kind of like the, and, and if you look in history, the, the mayor of Algians were the first rulers of the Franks or France. So, I mean, there's, like, all these kind of, like, high-ends to names and stuff like that. There are. Um, what do you think of the theory that after 1900, 1900s, really, um, particularly anything of recent, that there are no new stories told? That all they are is rewritten with a different perception or creativity. That's a great question because there are a lot, many, many, many stories are just rewritten with new perspectives and just slight tweaks here and there. Yeah. Mission Impossible versus James Bond versus the A-Team. It, it goes on and on and on. Then you get into different pieces um, all the way back to Shakespeare and how many of his stories, plays have been rewritten with just a tweak here or a tweak there. And I think part of the reason that you're going to find that is because, hey, man, here's a damn good story, and I'm just going to change a few names and a few different circumstances, and it's not uh, the 1600s, the 1700s, or the 1800s anymore. Shakespeare's gone, but what it is is 2021. Let's throw a couple new names in there and some new technology. I think uh – I think any time when you have, like, as uh, generations go by, uh, I think when you look at history in general um, or memory, uh, I took a great class about this in, at the University of Colorado um, talking about memory and stuff like that. Uh, they talked about, like, probably in, like, the 1700s and before, people would be like, oh, you see that big rock over there? That's where so-and-so's kid died or got ran over by, like, a, a carriage or something like that. And you fast forward to today's time frames. Uh, we have so much knowledge and so much um, access to information that our knowledge isn't as in-depth, but it's more fragments. Uh, so we know more things, but just small fragments of more things. Whereas before you could be like, oh, yeah, so-and-so, blah, 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 blah. That happened over there at that big rock. Um, so I do think it is, uh, you're probably correct that maybe the mass majority of stories, if not all stories, have been rewritten or told slightly bit different for new generations over time. And I think there's a reason for that, though. I think it's because, like, memory has changed. Some of these tales are important because they do share some um, either philosophical uh, lessons there or moral lessons and it needs to be done sometimes 
in a in a new light for new generations to understand some of this information to be passed down from one to another. Uh, for a great example would be with um, and you obviously you like I know you and I both like Shakespeare, but who cannot say especially with with us two, we both love the Leo Leonardo DiCaprio version of Shakespeare. Now that that was like that's a totally it's same story basically totally rewritten but more modernized for the time frame that when we grew up well i think one of the beauty the beautiful aspects of that movie is that it's not totally rewritten it is literally just props that are rewritten a few words that are interchanged and a sword becomes a gun they're both still a lethal weapon do the same job yes uh, I think where the Matrix kind of differs in that, though, yes, they are encompassing a lot of these stories, but they're they're actually intertwining and intermixing so many different um, religious uh, religious aspects, different philosophies. I didn't really get into like knowledge versus reality. Where really, I wanted to talk a little bit about Plato and like uh, his his theories about like if someone were in a cave, chained up to a wall never been out to the outside world and never knew that they were in bondage Wait and that they were slaves. I think that's in one of the movies. <laughs> right. They're never in bondage. They were never slaves. Would they know that they were not, a, that they were a slave if they didn't know about it? And then when one of them gets freed, goes out, sees the world, comes back and tries to tell all the others about everything that they're missing out in the world. What would, what would their reaction be? Would they ridicule the person that went out there? Would they disbelieve them? Um, and I, I think when you look at that, that aspect of what Plato's talking about and the cave and people who are born into uh, slavery without knowing that they were born in slavery, when someone tries to come by, come by and wake them up to it, they they it's a reality that they can't see or know. So it's a very few of them would ever wake up to that reality to want to be free. And I, and I think that's very... Uh, um, relates really well to what, what we see and what's happening in the world today. Uh, I think you have some people who are trying to uh, give out information to other people. And, and when they're trying to give out that information, the people who are probably those who would be the equivalent to those in the caves ridicule those who are trying to give them the information or uh, provide additional information so that way they can make an educational decision. Um, and uh, because of that, very few are wake. Some have woken up. Some are some are refused to wake up. Uh, but I think uh, you'll you see that in the Matrix too. Everyone that like they go to, not everyone takes the red pill. So it's interesting. So I I, th I think you're kind of on the same train of thought with that with where i'm going next which is you and i and i know those views out there don't not all of you believe in aliens and have often challenged me and how do you know aliens exist you believe jesse fervently that aliens are out there well they are um and we have talked about what it means to be proven or disproven what i need as far as proof versus what you need as far as proof on whole different aspects so for example somebody who would be super religious believes in god but they cannot more so prove in god than i can in aliens 
because neither of us can go to a museum and see God or an alien body right now. Uh, someday they'll open it up in Roswell and there'll be a real alien. Come on, Roswell, help us out. But my point being is with the aliens, this was intentional. What if the two brothers, the writers and directors of this movie were really telling a story, not necessarily an old story retold, something that was truly or more so than not, much like Interstellar, a new story, but the only way, because you reverse engineer things, to get people's buy-in, to get people interested, to get people to be intrigued, was to, with that reverse engineering, after you already have the story, throw in Persephone or Neo or other names which really do or don't tie into the story. I think that's a whole lot of reverse engineering going on into this story to do that. Is it though? Or is the story really all about engineering energies and perceptions? Uh, I think think there's way too much going on in this to, to say it was reverse engineered. You can start with a basic storyline about everyone being energy. And no one wants to believe that, that all we are well, we is are, energy. Yeah. Well, everything is energy. So then how do you get people to believe that the body isn't the stimulus? I'm not sure where you're going with that. It's the energy. It's energy is not created or destroyed. We're all energy. We have this energy. It's not about one thing or another. It's not about one religion or another. It is literally, we are energy. We are positive or negative. We have some impact. We choose to be positive or negative. Well, I think, I mean, if you're talking about the matrix, it's obvious that we are energy beings because we put out so much energy anyways uh, hence the word copper top when he's uh when they're in that car and you see and, they, and all the machines are using pods of uh of humans as as energy sources yeah we do produce energy uh, we are all energy beings like anything like anything of matter is energy um one can almost say uh and i saw this in uh in a, in a show called the, uh, I think the the Secret or something like that. The guy talks about like, you know, if God is everywhere and in everything, right? Then one can almost say energy is God because energy is in all of us. It is everywhere at the same time. It is in everything. Um, so one could almost say that, and one could almost even say that even aliens and God can be one and the same. Who's not to say that? And this is where. Uh, uh, what's his name? Eric Van Daniken kind of makes sense. Like, what if you have a group of people who are uh, basically cave dwellers who don't know anything about technology and you have an advanced group of people who come into, or humanoids that come into their planet and they have ships and they have means to like heal people and all that stuff. While a cave dweller would not know any of these types of technologies and they would see these advanced people as gods. So who's not to say that God is not an alien? And then, it, but if you if you're still going to start thinking about stuff like that too, uh, if if God is an alien, then who created the who created those aliens? And so there's still got to be like an ultimate like 
universal source or universal connect connectivity there, uh, one source or God source or whatever you want to call it. Um, it, it just, it would, it would, whether or not like that, it's, it's, I think it's called the zero barrier or something like that. Uh, where you go beyond, um, uh, where you go into the quantum field and that's where uh, thought becomes like, that's where like that zero barrier is where like thought turns into uh, matter and stuff like that. Um, so I, I think, I think it can be one and the same. I think aliens do exist. Uh, God, <laughs> God, therefore also probably exists. Maybe not, maybe not by the definition that we know it, or maybe not by the definition we might recognize it as, but there's probably some kind of universal or guide source or something like that because, uh, or we just, there's not a way for us to fathom it at this point. Uh, much like yourself, I definitely believe there is a higher spirit, but that whole perception that I have of it being a higher spirit means it does not judge me for uh, the mistakes of not going to church and things like that. Um, so you would, are, you're, you're saying that as opposed to these two brothers writing this and coming up with this idea and then reverse engineering it, you're saying that is not something you you think is the way that this happened you, you're you're saying this wasn't I'm saying it'd be like if they did reverse engineer the matrix I, i'm sure that i mean anytime you write a story or anytime you do something right you have like a kind of like a beginning you have like an end thought and then it's all about filling in the middle um i if they did reverse engineer it which i'm not saying they didn't it would be very difficult because there's so much stuff being intertwined in here. Like, all I basically talked about was some, like, uh, up to this point, and we're already, like, at 32 minutes just talking about the Matrix. We knew this was going to be, it's 38 minutes, man. Oh, okay. <laughs> but we knew this was going to be a forever topic. <laughs> but the thing is, is that uh, all we talked about really is just, Socrates, and we barely touched on Socrates. We talked about some of the names and that how that is developed in there. We talked about just a slight bit of or uh, the Oracle and how it relates uh, relates to the Greeks versus how it related into uh, the the Matrix. I didn't really even talk about Plato. I mean, I barely mentioned Plato, and we never even got to like uh, uh, Rene Descartes or even. Um, Hillary Putnam, who talks about the brain in the vat theory. Um, there is like, there's, and there's, maybe there's still Buddhism we have to talk about. There's still Judaism that we have to talk about that that's all still intertwined in this. And there, I mean, this, there's a whole lot to unpack. And to say that, to someone reverse engineer it, yeah, maybe, but that's a whole lot of like bringing in other aspects and stuff to re reverse engineer it. I think maybe like i don't know maybe the way my mind works it might have been easier to have gone to maybe some like uh philosophy classes religious classes or have some studies in some of these other different philosophies and religions and kind of point out like hey it'd be kind of cool if we just took some of these aspects of all of these and built a story around that uh, so i think it'd be easier for me to like pinpoint like highlights i want to intertwine together and then build a story around those those rather rather than reverse engineering. So you're you're saying that you you would choose to believe that as opposed to coming up with something new and creative. And oh, this then, is totally new and creative. Don't well, well, not if they're using pages from everyone else's book. 
I think, well, I think they're taking bits and pieces. You're either stealing Socrates and Plato and all of these others for your story, or you had your story and then you're inserting them to get belief. Uh, I don't think so because I hear, yes, they are taking a little bit from Socrates. Yes, they're taking a little bit from Buddhism. Yes, they're taking a little bit from Judaism. Yes, they're taking a little bit from Descartes. Uh, yes, they're taking a little bit from uh, Putnam and and I don't think I think like stealing the stories would be as if like they like just rewritten the story, rewritten the stories or something like that. Here, I think they're taking bits and pieces of them, creating a new story, intertwining like all the religions together, all the philosophies together to kind of create a, a new story. So is that new story a social commentary on reality? I don't see why not. I, I think it's an interesting piece because I could go either way. Um, I choose to think, and this is only a choice. The new movie comes out and I think it's going to explain a lot. We may love it. We may hate it. Please don't be a final episode of the Sopranos. Please don't be. <laughs> uh, I mean, I didn't mind it, um, but I I, and I also especially didn't mind the end of Game of Thrones, but please, for the masses, don't do that because I'm going to lose more friends that way <laughs> if I like it and they don't. Um, but it's interesting because, you know, with Socrates in particular, or, you know, you talk about captives in a cave, not knowing that they're captives. Are they the captives? Is this where ignorance is bliss? Or does freedom getting out of the cave and having your free life and all of a sudden, much like yourself or myself, we're paying 50% taxes. Is that really slavery? Were they actually actually free in a cave because they weren't paying half of everything to go get, you know, a COVID shot <laughs> and wear a mask. Thank you. I'm keeping everyone safe. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's a question that one has to ponder for themselves. And I think that's what this, I think that's what the matrix really does is it makes people question not only reality. Um, what is, what is real? What is, what is not real? Are we even like, if there's some philosophers out there, and I think this theme, this theme comes through on the Matrix, that maybe we're just a computer simulation. Um, just energy. Just energy. And who's to say that we are not, like if we're talking about just energy, who's to say we're not like what uh, Putnam talks about, like we're just brains in a vat that are getting uh, uh, like electrodes put into the brain. If the brain does not know that there's no body and it's just getting these elect uh, these uh, electrical currencies going into it, maybe we are in a matrix to where none of this is real. But how would we know? And he, and even Morpheus talks to uh, Neo about that. Like he goes, "Have you ever had a dream that felt so real?" And then if what if he if he did, what if you were never able to wake up from that dream? How would you be able to tell the difference between a dream versus reality? I woke up wet. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to. And this is where Descartes kind of comes into play. And he talks about like with dreams, like here you and I talking with each other, this to us, our senses, everything tells us this is real, but we wouldn't know if this was real or if it was a dream. Cause if it was a dream, it might all seem real to us, but we wouldn't know it was a dream until after we woke up. Um, and, you know, so he basically, the card talks about, like, how our senses can deceive us, how our dreams, can, how reality can deceive us by our dreams. And so, really, what is what is reality? What is what is true? Like, what do we you know? What it what what it, what it isn't? What is? And so it's really about knowledge versus 
reality? Uh, is ignorance truly bliss? Is it not? One might say maybe those who live as slaveries who never knew anything about freedom, maybe that is total bliss. Maybe maybe they are more free than someone who is free because if all they know is being a slave, they know their place. They know their purpose. They know like if they do this, this, and this, they'll get their food and they won't get whipped or whatever. Whereas someone who's free, they have like all these other worries to worry about. Like if I don't, you know, where's my next bill coming from? Where is my next whatever coming from? Yeah. And it is really the question from there is like, is being free really free? You know, I mean, to choose your own, to choose, have the ability to choose your own path in life. Um, one could say that's, that's really free, but then there's also people who I've had mentors who say, people like to be told what to do. So that is also very interesting because I think that falls right in line with Socrates and the cave. And you see it time and time again throughout history, throughout uh, writings, books, authors, movies, TV shows, everywhere. You see it in the most recent James Bond, No Time to Die, where the villain is letting Bond know people want to be told what to do. And I think there's actually some truth to that, unfortunately, that there are a portion of people who want to be told what to do. Uh, you know, an, an, a prime example would be, you know, you have to wear a mask. It's only going to be for two weeks. And then two years later, you're still wearing a mask, um, but you're being told what to do because you want to put the responsibility in somebody else's hands so that you're not responsible for getting anyone else sick as opposed to doing what's right and taking care of yourself and taking care of others. You want somebody else to have to own that responsibility. You see it with Loki in the Avengers movies where Loki is sitting there telling Iron Man and... <laughs> Captain America um, and, and a group of people that they all want to be slaves. And, you know, everyone says, oh, no, 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 no. But then you look throughout history at some of the people we voted into positions of power. It could have been a president, could have been someone in the Senate or the House of Republicans or... Um, House of Republicans or House of Representatives? House of Representatives. <laughs> Should be House of Republicans, but House of Representatives or our, you know, judicial branch, people we've put in power. And, you know, it is easily once again said that we do any of that so that they are responsible for us. And we pay for that. 50% of what we make, most Americans are paying, uh, well, not most Americans, but a, a large portion of Americans are paying a great deal of money to be told what to do. Yeah, and here I'm just for those who 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 blindly put their uh, put that off onto respond uh, that responsibility onto others, like you're saying about wearing masks and stuff like that. Uh, I think in my analogy of of uh plato and i'm sorry if i'm going to offend people here I, I but i think they're the ones who are who are the ones in the cave and i think the people who are going around trying to show them uh information that shows charts and information about like uh athletes who normally would like in the past have never 
fallen over and had heart attacks and died like on soccer fields and basketball courts and stuff like that. There's obviously something wrong, but then yet uh, they're saying like uh, they don't know what's causing these deaths. Uh, there's only one, like you don't need like a whole lot of uh, information here to use some critical thinking. What's different before versus now that could have caused these issues? There is a new form of steroids out there, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. <laughs> but in any case, like I, I think uh, a lot of what we see in the Matrix, if we were to break down, start putting it into today's society, look at some of the names that they've utilized in that movie and see how it relates to their positions in the movie and what they did those characteristics, I think we can start pulling some of those things and put it into our own reality of, of the world today. Absolutely. And so um, I think with that, like really just the, just the matrix part, or right? I think we probably just should sum it up real quick. And maybe possibly do it in another part two or something later on. Uh, for me, for the matrix, phenomenal subject. Uh, knowing when you brought this up, this was going to go long. This was going to be a big one. Uh, there are so many different avenues to take it. It's not really an easy one to break down because there is so much involved. And it is just with that. There are religious aspects. There are political aspects. There's the whole field of are we energy is it fate or is it choice do we have the power to make a difference can anyone be an astronaut for example no <laughs> not everyone will be an astronaut and with that uh, you know it's a great movie that to me really does challenge what is life what is happiness what is choice and uh, which way do we choose to go because of our own realities i uh, i agree with a lot of what you just said right there um, i think a lot of a lot of stuff we have to look at here when we talk about the matrix is what is our reality um it's obvious that like what you like what you grew up with what you uh your experiences versus my experiences that creates two different realities. Um, so what is truth? What is reality? What is happiness? Um, I think these are all things the matrix is trying to kind of trying to convey to us. Um, I think there's also a bit about, um, about energy like you're talking about in there. And I think really just, as I kind of close up this topic for myself here is just, just take the time to, if you're watching this and you made it all the way through our, 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 our <laughs> podcast here talking about the matrix, just take the time to reflect upon, um, are you the uh, person who has been freed from the cave, uh, who's seen freedom and tries to go back and tell those who are, who are, uh, the slaves who, who don't know any better uh, or are you one of those slaves and someone who, and is there someone who's trying to give you the information and you're, you don't believe them because they're talking about something that's not part of what you, what you know as the norm uh, or what you kind of grew up into. Because if you grew up in bondage and you didn't know that you were in bondage, you never, you're not going to know what freedom is. Um, but just take a look at about reality in itself, about you, 
uh, is there is there any truth to all of it, to some of it? Are all religion partially truth, or or is there only one true religion? I don't know if there is an answer to that. I think there's some truths to all of it, um, but it's up to you. I think everyone. I think ultimately, I think uh, you know your pursuit of happiness, your pursuit of goals. That's what that's what matters, and 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 trying to be better than what you were before, and that's kind of like where I'll just leave it at right now. Yeah. Uh, one of my long standing questions to myself and that I pose to others is if you have faith, does that mean you have to believe you have a fate? Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, here's the thing. If you have faith, right, it's just kind of like if you want to become a pilot, right, let's say you have the height measurements of the eyesight because that, that plays a part of it but let's just say you you have those uh, the the physical qualities that you need to become a pilot if you if you have faith that you do everything you're supposed to do then you're going to become a pilot so at that point having the faith of doing all those things to become a pilot if you already have those physical attributes to you know to meet whatever it needs to, so you can be a pilot i think that pay, in that in that perspective it's a self-fulfilling fate because you had faith in the process and then that resulted into it. So you created that fate. Um, if you're talking about like in the matrix with Neo being the one, I'm not really sure <laughs> that really applies there. It's possible, but he had, but when even once again, though, I think that kind of goes back to those things about the Oracle, nothing in excess and to know thyself. And if you have faith, then there's probably some kind of fate tied into it. But you definitely have to know yourself to 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 have that occur. I don't know if that really answers your question. It, it's a question I don't look for the answer for from others. I just pose it to them to help them find their own. Because <laughs> uh, obviously we all have a fate. But is it predetermined? Does anything we do make a difference? And uh, to me, I can have faith and still have an impact on what my fate will be. I think there's, uh, I think there are probably four or five major decisions you probably make in life, maybe maybe a little bit more, that will determine your fate. Because I think you can go back and look through life, there are major decision points. That in got, or out, do I tuck my shirt in or wear it out? <laughs> that there are major, there are major, uh, major decision points that can can alter one's fate and really like that could like that, that I mean, you could, well, a person could have simply chosen to go left one day instead of right and then that could cause them a car accident versus not going to get in a car accident which could have made them crippled or not crippled right it's it is it predetermined i don't think it's predetermined i just think that there's an optional road there and then there's certain decision points that cause that determination of fate I think some some of them, it might be more than five, but I would say at least five um, are there in anyone's lifetime. Any case, uh, what's your next week's? All right, my next week's Smarter Challenge. I actually put a fair amount of thought into this and had a lot of fun with it. Um, and it was somewhat driven by your topic with the Matrix. And so mine is aliens versus predators. <laughs> Who wins? 
and why in the ultimate battle of those two races who would be the victor and why okay anything you want to say to the people uh thank you guys for watching the show please do not drink and drive remember life is great uh, and i i hope you leave some feedback let us know what you thought about this sub subject we know we could have talked for 24 hours straight maybe one of these times we'll have like the matrix uh reboot so to speak and uh, it'll be like a 24-hour show it'll be like cases of uh mountain dew like we were gamers playing for 24 hours straight some rock stars coffee and Make of course like a marathon, yeah like a marathon like six bottles of scotch like, like, like we're like scotch mountain dew scotch rock star scotch <laughs> we're not gonna stop this podcast until you guys give us 500 likes and then we just die because no one liked it <laughs> Oh, shoot. <laughs> so, I will just say thank you for, uh, for for being a fan, watching us. Uh, as normal, if you're watching us for the first time, we are on YouTube, we're on Rumble, Podbean, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music and Audible Podcasts. Uh, we will be back the same Scotch time, same Scotch hour, so cheers. Cheers. We hope you enjoyed this evening's episode of Scotch Hour. If you did, please like, share, and subscribe. Also, if you have not done so already, please become a Patreon member with memberships starting as low as $1 a month. Thank you, and hopefully you have a wonderful evening.